If I were to be like Slavoj Žižek, the you know current like hottest Marxist philosopher, and I were to say that the uh, true essence of Kiki's delivery service is that Kiki is the only young girl who has to work in her city. The other children do not have to work and are not defined by their labor. And so as she meets her fellow working class Tombo, who also has to work, they know the value of labor and can find solidarity between each other throughout that experience. Whereas all these other shithead kids are just like, oh my god, like, <laughs> Kiki, this wasn't what the fuck I wanted. I wish grandma got me something else. All the other kids are a bunch of fucking whack-ass Dudleys in this shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. And like... everybody my name is hal i'm pax and this is bro takus the show where two guys who love anime do a deep dive on what is and isn't worth watching we believe you don't have to get a major in anime studies to enjoy this wild beautiful and strange art form and we're lucky to have you on this journey with us so today's guest is a dear friend and one of the smartest actresses I know. You can find her at www.morganmalone.com and at Morgan Malone on Instagram. And if you haven't guessed who it is yet, please welcome Morgan Malone. Hi, what a How lovely intro. So Hello, kind. owner Hi. of MorganMalone.com and at Morgan Malone on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Very strong branding. Thank you. I need to immediately say that I am a fraud. That lovely banter you just heard between me and Morgan, manufactured. It was it was genuine about a minute ago when I forgot to hit record, and we just did the same thing again. Take so two. I am laying down. Morgan, how how is your day today? How is how is how is the the weather? How how is your heart? Ooh, the weather was uh, humid today, I have to say, but um the sun is out. It's been rainy for the past couple of days, so I'm, you know. I'm happy about that. Um, my day has been well. It's, you know, I spent some nice time with my brother outdoors, reading. So I'm excited nice. and happy to be a part of this. And you said it was the Harry Potter books that you're reading? Yes. Well, I finished those about a week ago. I'm currently reading my Michael Caine acting in film book. So Very nice. Yes. Very nice. So... Uh, the Harry Potter element of that is going to become extremely relevant in about a minute Ooh, because yes. today we are talking about Kiki's Delivery Service, a name that should probably be familiar to most of the people out there right now, even if you're not a basement-dwelling troglodyte like I am. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service is the third film from uh, Hayao Miyazaki. It's the fourth from uh, Studio Ghibli overall. It went, uh, I believe, I just said, uh, Castle in the Sky, my Neighbor Totoro, and then Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, and it is a fantastic, beautiful coming-of-age story of a young witch in Japan flying over the seaside and meeting Tombo and hanging out with cats and eating bread and delivering bread. It's so amazing. Um, but before all that, before we dive in, I have created a game for you and Hal to play. I've created a game, Ooh. and we like to do games on Brotakus right now. I don't know if we've released any episodes that have games yet, uh, but we've recorded so many of them. We uh, have it's them. Just, we have them. <laughs> we do. We have them. So this will be like our 7,000th game overall, but it might be the first one we actually release. Um, Amazing. So 
Previously, we had done, is this a real anime? Is this a fake anime? We'd done a few permutations of that. But we're talking about uh, some witch shit today. We're talking about <laughs> the, the dope uh, magic stuff. And the main reason why magic has been in the news these past few weeks is because of our homegirl, Mrs. J.K. Rowling. Mm. The notorious J.K. dropping that Twitter heat, that Twitter fire. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and so I have created a game in which uh, no, in, in, in which fantastic philanthropist, author, and trans-exclusionary radical feminist J.K. Rowling, uh, I've, I've gathered a bunch of her tweets, and so we're going to play Is This a Real or Fake J.K. Rowling Tweet? Tweet, 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 tweet. I'm I ready. Know. This is so creative. All right, so I'm gonna give you the I'm gonna give you the tweet, and you two are gonna tell me real or fake. I'm gonna need you both to be. Uh, we have I think eight in total. Y'all are gonna need to be uh, tracking what your own score is, if that's okay. Like how okay. many you've gotten right, and then we're gonna sure. come together at the end. And the uh, winner will get to remain on the fucking show, Hal. Okay, oh, so cheat. you gotta stick. I'm gonna cheat. <laughs> <laughs> no, the winner will get a high five when COVID's over in 2028. Are we uh, ready? Can't wait for those. <laughs> okay, so is this a real or fake J.K. Rowling tweet? <clears throat> From J.K. Rowling. Voldemort was nowhere near as bad as American President Donald J. Trump. Fake? You know fake? what? I, I'm going to say she's going to be a little more sly with it. I'm going to say that's a fake one. Okay. Yeah, All right. I, I, go, it, I go with fake. All right. It was real. It, it was damn. a real tweet. It was a real tweet. You so. know, she just came right out and said oh, it, and, and I thought that she'd be a little more cunning, but, you know, I, good for her. Okay. But the fact so. that we had to debate it, though, is... Interesting. <laughs> All right. So tweet number two from J.K. Rowling. Here's something special about Harry Potter I've been meaning to share with you all. Now that he's entered his late 30s, Harry suffers from erectile dysfunction, a disorder that has not only hurt his self-esteem, but has also driven a wedge between himself and his wife, Ginny. Some of these might surprise y'all. Uh, you fake? think fake? Fake? Okay. It's fake. Oh. That is a fake J.K. Okay, tweet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Same vein. So... <laughs> From J.K. Rowling, Cho Chang did wind up in a monogamous relationship with a man, but she was always a bisexual woman who later in life developed osteoporiasis. I'm, I'm going to say, say it's real. Okay. And that is fake. Yeah, that is a fake me. tweet. <laughs> yeah, well, and so why this Damn. is hard for the for the homies at home. And does this have anything to do with Kiki's delivery service? It involves magic. Shut up. <laughs> but it's relevant to what's going on. Um, JK is known for these these tweets. It is a well-known JK Rowling meme that she is constantly retconning what happened in the books to say, mm -hmm. oh well, this is actually what's happening with the characters. Grindelwald and Dumbledore have an intense sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Hermione's actually black, even though in the books it says she has pale skin. All sorts of um all sorts of <laughs> stuff so which is it's great to have diversity but right. the big lesson of jk rowling is shoving diversity in retroactively mm -hmm. not as cool okay right, 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 is right. this a real jk rowling tweet okay from jk rowling actually moaning myrtle's full name was myrtle elizabeth warren <laughs> what do we think morgan you got you got us oh how it's fake i believe it's fake 
fake from both of you? It's fake. It's real. It's what? real. She, she canonically I I... made her name uh... Moaning Myrtle. No, her name is Myrtle Elizabeth Ward, and you will I, respect her. I, as such. I appreciate I just that she keeps that tweet the other like oh, today. Man. I looked at it. You looked and at I, it. I totally mis- a real I one. mismatched the names. Uh... Yeah, it's like saying that Harry's real name is you know, and then good old Harry Barack Hussein O Potter. Right. <laughs> like, it's uh, but she wow. claim, she claims it does not have anything to do with the American Senate. She claims. Mm. <laughs> she yeah. makes a lot it's of claims. It's all just a little too uh, coincidental. Okay, so next. <laughs> um, actually, from, okay, from J.K. Rowling. Actually, all the Death Eaters were on hormone replacement therapy. Grindelwald menstruated. Professor Umbridge used they-them pronouns. Lucius Malfoy only listens to Sam Smith. Quirrell is insane because he's two-spirit. And Voldemort's real first name is Aiden. I'm gonna say fake, and if it's real, I'm gonna go throw myself down a flight I of stairs. I will say real this time because I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling like I don't We're know. I feel like I'm gaslighting you. No, that one is fake. It's so fake. Okay. <laughs> At this point, I was like, they all sound like they just can't be true. So I know, I know, man. I know. Okay, so. We're, we're, we're getting through this. So uh, in this in this setup, Rowling was asked uh, from someone saying, uh, my wife said there are no Jews at Hogwarts. Uh, I'm a Jew, so I assume she said it to be the only magical one in the family. Thoughts? To which J.K. Rowling replied, Anthony Goldstein, Ravenclaw, Jewish wizard. <laughs> real. <laughs> you think real? real? That is real. That is real. Um, she conjured Anthony Goldstein out of thin air. So mm-hmm. we have Anthony Goldstein, Myrtle Elizabeth Warren, a lot of great people here. So next up, um, Hagrid was actually a full giant. He was only thought to be a half giant by others because he was in a wheelchair the whole time, but people couldn't see it under his rather large robes. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh fake? I fake <laughs> question yeah, mark. Fake? <laughs> it's gotta be. It's fake. Oh my <laughs> I made gosh. it up. <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> the fact that, that we're even worrying for half a second. Oh my no, gosh. No. That is no. amazing. I just was haggard in a wheelchair the whole time. <laughs> You really s- said the tweets in like the right three order. goblins in a trench coat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for, for us right. to be this hesitant. So, next up. Uncle Vernon loves Top Gear and voted for Brexit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Real. 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 That's real. That's oh, real. Yes. Uncle Vernon oh. voting for Brexit. <laughs> okay. And our, and our last one, our last little piece of gold today, allegedly from J.K. Rowling. We'll see if this is true. Hogwarts didn't always have bathrooms. Before adopting muggle plumbing methods in the 18th century, witches and wizards simply relieved themselves wherever they stood and vanished the evidence. <laughs> Hashtag National Trivia Day. <laughs> So is this tweet claiming that wizards shit themselves in the middle of hallways before <laughs> apparating their own shit into the ether? Is this a real tweet from J.K. Oh Rowling? Is this real lore? Fake. It's fake. Double fake. It's real. It's real. Are you serious? This is real lore up until the up until the 1800s. Um, Wizards were just shitting themselves in the middle of hallways. Oh, God. You gotta go. Gotta go. If you gotta go, you gotta go. What are our thoughts on this game? Do we Have we kept track of how many we've gotten correct? 
Yeah, so you said there were eight, right? Yeah. I I think I only got four correct. Oh, you only got four? Did you? It's either four or five, because I have five here, but we... I well, didn't the, beat you, I don't think. Though, yeah, I, I think we were unanimous we were in most of our decisions. Yeah. You think, it, you think it's a tie? No, I think I, it is a... There was a split there. Was there? Yeah, there was a split. I put down five. I have five right. on my phone, but... Well, we're, we're going to listen to the playback later, we're and trust- someone's a fucking liar. Absolutely. All right. so this anybody, isn't over. Anyone listening to this, DM us if this is not correct, because I'm not telling you. <laughs> but congratulations, Morgan, on winning. Is this a real or fake JK tweet? Uh, congratulations, your prize will be delivered in the mail. You are now um, the new bro taco. I am thinking about a lot Welcome right now about show. JK, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like real quick for like just a minute before we dive into the main topic today, how do we feel about that, about what that says... For about, you know, authors' ownership of the texts, like the idea of kind of like tweeting retcons to your own story, what what, what that does, I guess, J.K. Rowling in general. Morgan, I know you've uh, just finished the, the series again, and so or I guess for the first time. So w- what are your thoughts with J.K. being in the news so often? It's been very interesting because I have such an emotional attachment to the series, um, and it's hard not to connect who created it who wrote it um to harry potter so and and one thing that i've been reading you know on twitter is that you know separate the this emotional attachment from her like she like the books the characters are not who she is i disagree with what she has to say and some of her beliefs um but i'm not going to let that like destroy my vision or the imagination i have on the story although um one thing i am proud of are the actors speaking out um, towards, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint because they, I mean, when you think about it, this woman made their careers for them at such a young age, like boosted their way into the business and and in this literal phenomenon of a, you know, fantasy world. So I, I think that speaks volumes in saying that although she did so much for them, beliefs are still beliefs and Mm-hmm. using their platforms in a positive way to reach their audience. Yes. And I think that there are certain things that are reflected in the books and then things that just kind of like aren't. But Helen, any thoughts on like, when does an artist stop owning a text after it's released? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, to to add more information to a story after it's been out for so long feels as though you're just to me, it feels as though you're just inserting yourself back into it rather than allowing the story to remain what it was. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I guess there's a difference. Like if there's something that you found problematic in your text and you want to go like issue a statement saying like, hey, there is something within the story that um, when I put it out, it was not intended to be this way. But it you know nowadays it, it's viewed in a very different light if you want to come out and you want to say something about your work that like you're not so crazy about now maybe your views have changed i think that's totally fine but to simply change what the story was and what these characters were based on what's happening right now i to me it just kind of feels a little too convenient it taints with the imagination yeah, a little bit 
Well, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that it kind of um, takes some of the permission away from the person who's reading the story to have their own dreams about it, their own little right. fictions and ideas. I know it. I know every time I was young, like I totally inserted, asserted myself right in the oh, Hogwarts. Absolutely. Like, what <laughs> house would I be? What spells would I be doing? What would my legend be? You know, things like that. And I think that the the message that can get sent when an author wants to um, explain all these things or or dodge criticism by saying, "Yo, I'm worried your original book wasn't diverse enough. There were no Jewish people." very minimal uh, people of color like the one Asian woman Cho Chang is like a step away from Ching Chong in terms of her name (laughs) like just like Mm -hmm. whatever the criticisms are I think Pravardi is also a part of the book but there's Mm -hmm. tons of great criticism that's been made I think when you start like but actuallying saying oh, well, you're sad there weren't gay characters? Dumbledore, super gay. Uh, you are sad that there wasn't a Jewish wizard? Oh, you didn't know about Anthony Goldstein? You could have, you could have, you know, could have gotten the sense he right. was there. <laughs> like, kind of a um, defense. It's I, I, all, you know, being a little bit defensive and proving that everything is right about yeah. what she wrote. And I think I kind of knew the red flag was there the second that Harry named all his children like Albus Severus Dumbledorington or Miney Looping Lupius the (laughs) Third. Like, I think that that was when I kind of knew like, ooh, that sounds like something that like, um, that's like the Boruto of uh, (laughs) Wizards. Um, I think some listeners will get that. There's a series called Naruto that had a, uh, Naruto had a son named Mm. Boruto and that's like a a big series now. And so I think it's, it's very uh, deferential with all that. Might take some of the magic away but hopefully i mean you still having read the book so recently does it hold up morgan is it still Absolutely. a joy um it really is I, I i grew up with um you know my cousins everyone we listened to the audiobooks obsessed with them and i um and i've been blinded about jk rowling i i didn't i don't i'm not on twitter i, I mean i don't follow her on twitter mm. actively and so i the books were the books to me in just the story and an author her name was on the cover and that was kind of it for me yeah. I didn't really do other research to figure out who she was as a person my her inspiring story of her being homeless and then writing these books and now this is her life that is really all I know of her to the full extent so absolutely the books are the books to me only and so, so no, it, this conversation though opens my mind to really you know there are people behind these pages right that create these texts Mm -hmm. and I think that's says a lot in itself about you know yes it's their imagination and and it's their creations but it's coming from those people and what they believe so it's that's interesting yeah that's such a beautiful sentiment that's fantastic Morgan and like and I yeah I think that you know every story that I've ever written or uh poem or play or, or movie like I don't even know if I could say fully it's my own, you know, in the same way that I don't really think my life is my own. It's, you know, an amalgamation of all these beautiful things Mm -hmm. that have touched me and like people who have been around to edit and give story ideas and things around. And same thing with the movies that so many people know it for. Shout out Mr. Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, He's a a teacher at our school who uh, directed plays and uh, did dance courses and is the Mm -hmm. the nicest. But um, I think that uh, ideally... The stories hold up. I think we can kind of still bring some of that beauty uh, into the future to our kids. However, that being said, when I was a kid, there was not just one uh, story of magic and wizardry that filled my heart up because my favorite animated movie growing up, one of my absolute favorites was Kiki's Delivery Service.
Kiki's Delivery Service. Now, this movie um, is one of the first, the few Miyazaki films that I've had the privilege to see. I'm seeing more and more as time goes on. And yet, this one really stood out to me as a really, really sweet, solid slice of life film. And I'm not entirely like familiar with that genre of animation. And so, Morgan, I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, what is your experience with anime in general? Have you had any sort of experience with it? Anything like that? I've had very little experience with anime. Um, the Last Airbender is the extent of my knowledge and exposure to anime. Um, my father actually is interested here, so like I, um, I see, you know, recommended things on his Netflix, and so I'm like, oh, that, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, but that's my. Are you saying your father's down with bit. anime? I've seen him watch some things, ah. but do I know it was anime? See, like, I'm not fully aware into the genre of it. And so this is... All you know is there's a lot of tentacles right. and yeah. schoolgirls, and so could it. Yeah. So ah. they recently were just re-watching The Last Airbender. And so I'm, I'm a goal of mine is to restart it myself um, and get into it because I, I'm completely new. Yeah, well, um, so when you watched this movie, Kiki's Delivery Service, and you looked at the cover and you saw this little girl who's sitting at a counter buying some in front of some bread, and she doesn't look very happy, but she's adorable. She's got this little red bow, and you found out, oh my gosh, she's a witch. You know, she's flying around. This is what yeah, she does. What yeah. was your first take with that? Like, what was your first interpretation? Well, it was interesting because it seemed so, I mean, I love the opening scene, like her in a field with flowers and listening to the news on mm. her radio and just so innocent and just taking life in. And and then she goes on her broom and, and it, it, it took me by surprise. I was like, oh, she's a witch. And then I started thinking, oh, this is like really cool and different to kind of show a young, to show magic. Um, in this form, because I, like, I'm just going to say I love animation, period. Like, I, I just mm -hmm. think it's super fascinating and it's a cool piece of art. Um, so seeing that, it almost seemed like it was a way of life, though. Like, she's a witch. This is a fact. Yes, they make it yes. mundane and, immediately. And, immediately and you just it's mundane. It. I was like, this is how life goes. This is what it is for her. There's a witch, period. Like, fantasy world, here we go. It wasn't like a question mm -hmm. of that's not real or that's not true. You just roll with it. So so let me ask you this. Um, so you you know that Kiki's a witch. You know that she lives in a, a line of witches in her family and that there are multiple witches all throughout the world. Um, and you had this moment of like, oh man, what's, what can she do as a witch? Uh, you know, were you picturing like Charmed, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Were you picturing like uh, the Wizard of Oz, that kind of thing? I was a little bit. Um, it's <laughs> kind of funny. It brought me back to that uh, Twitches. Do you remember yes. Tia and Tamara? Like that, uh, was it Disney? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was oh, it yes. Disney? I yes. can't remember. Um, and kind of oh, that, yeah. like, I mean, we also had like Wizards of Waverly Place growing up, like I was a that, big like magic, Waverly Place yeah, fan. like mm -hmm. magic really was um, witches, wizards, like that was it. Like it, it took definitely a, a f it was um, a storyline and a bunch of entertainment. And what I found interesting was that okay, this is going to be a coming of age story. She, th this witch is going to discover herself. Kiki doesn't know what her powers are, but it wasn't so much about that because she then goes to this town and it's that's not her purpose in a way like to really figure out 
what being a witch is to her, which I that was really surprising because I I literally planned out the plot, the storyline in my head. Oh, this is what it's going to be. We're going to she's going to do some trials, witchy things and figure out what she's good at. Like the fortune teller she comes across on her way there. And then the dark yes. wizard Grimblezord comes into town. <laughs> right. Oh, like, the I young really, witch, I'm going to take her powers. I and... thought there was going to be some she was going to go to a village where um they were all witches. Like, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, mm. Yeah, because real quick, the only other, like, witches you meet is, like, because at, at the start, Kiki is going down the um, stairs mm-hmm. to meet with her mom, who's making, like, a potion. <laughs> she, she's, like, a village doctor. She's, like, an alchemist, and she is making a potion for the woman at the table um, who is just like, well, I'm glad they're not leaving, because otherwise my arthritis would be worse. <laughs> and uh, when Kiki flies to that town, her enemy is not Grisanthazor, you know, the great dark wizard of the north-southeast. It's uh, fucking capitalism and the social welfare net of, like, the fact that she needs to work immediately. And there's one guy, when she flies in, who's like, oh, witch, that's pretty cool. And then she's like, thanks, bye, and immediately leaves. And then she lands and is like, hey, guys, does your town have a witch? And they're all like, oh, okay, well, little weird here, bitch. Yeah. Like, Not like wizards don't exist to them, but they're like, a wizard well, fuck you and I guess like the, I have a the job the different Goodbye. reactions from individual characters is what surprised me too because the the expected like at first I wasn't thinking no one's gonna find her strange um, but she did get the glances from the townspeople who looked at her and then was like oh broom that's cool and then like went away but and it's like because she was disrupting traffic is why they were staring right. at her, not because she's a fucking supernatural right. being. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It was like how you would react to a really, really good street performer being like, whoa, the guy can like juggle knives. That's pretty cool. I better get to work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so they were turned off by her. But then you immediately she, you know, she goes to the bakery and that's it. Like the person's like, oh, which? Wow, she can fly. I'm amazed. So there were plenty of opinions, but I guess the contrast of them was so like, okay, some people find her weird and strange and then other people are just infatuated with the the idea of a witch. Um, I thought she Mm -hmm. was going to struggle a little bit more with maybe being an outcast or or being, yeah, treated like one. And she wasn't as much as I thought, which is nice. (laughs) We love that for Kiki. Um, (laughs) So yeah. Yes, Kiki. And I, I think that the um, just to set up like what the big broad strokes of the story are is like when Kiki comes downstairs, uh, she has heard on the weather like she's listening to the radio and NPR is like, and uh, if you got anything special planned tonight, uh, now's the night to do it. It's going to be a nice full moon. And Kiki, d- does she get stronger when there's a full moon or is it just she wanted no, there- she literally <laughs> just wanted it to be like aesthetically pleasing yes. when she left. <laughs> that was it. I think maybe she just had like the E.T. poster in her head and was like, I want to fly. Yeah, she was like, the oh, but moon. I want to. I want the moon to be out while I go out and do my special journey, yeah. which is understandable. Well, yeah, no, and that's the thing too. Like the little um, stereotypical images that we think of a witch. We have the broom, the black cat. Like though, when I made that connection, yeah. I was like, oh, how cute! Like <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and so the full moon well, is well, an speaking interesting of stereotypical point. witch things. I think what I found most interesting about um, Kiki's delivery service, and, and I, I read this. Um, in this article about it before I watched it. And one of the things was that it doesn't focus on wish fulfillment. There is no sort of like, like a lot of times in Wizards of Waverly Place, like, uh-oh, Alex does something that she's not supposed to, better wave her magic wand and get herself mm. out of that sticky situation. Whereas like 
Kiki, to her, magic is just like us walking. It's just kind of her being like, yeah, you know, I, I can fly, but I also have to work, and that's just what it is. I can't use my magic to get out of situations that a normal person couldn't. And so... I feel like that really helps to line up this movie with the style of the slice of life genre being that things mm-hmm. are sort of mundane. Things are just everyday life occurrences. And Pax, if you wouldn't mind just discussing like what is a slice of life uh, film, what would that look like? Yeah. As I compare to other things. Absolutely. So um, a, a slice of life manga compared to a uh, shonen or, or seinen anime, anything with um, horror elements or big action elements, Slice of Life is all there in the title. It's just a, a the beautiful life story of somebody, uh, whether they're going to work or trying to take care of their family. Um, there is a Slice of Life manga and anime is Silver Spoon, which is uh, about a guy named Yugo Hachiken who moves away from his suburban home to enroll in a high school and uh, is there with his um, new family because he's attending a school far from home. And he gets used to a new environment, starts like working on a farm, meeting cows, and you learn stuff about cows and like and chickens. And it's amazing. And it's so deeply comforting and nourishing. And so what's amazing about Kiki's, I mean, because the, the main plot being that she's leaving a, a month early to go to like witch training, but she's not trained by anybody. There's no Hogwarts system where it's like because um I guess every young witch, to kind of clear up what the plot of the movie is, every young witch at 13 goes off to a new town or new city. And we learn right away that Kiki's mother, um, when she descended into the town she's at now, she was 13. And um, the woman at the counter with her who's getting the potion... um, knew her from all the way back then and I guess she decided to start a family there and the witches when they kind of fly like dandelion seeds to you know their next area they make root and I guess they just go on their personal journey of discovery to find whatever their little talent is and um before Kiki goes uh, her parents give her like a, a broom to go on and she has a talk with her father who had planned a full camping weekend Kiki's dad's a simp I'm so sorry but like he, he comes in he's like Kiki where are you going she's like I'm leaving for a year and he's like uh, we were gonna go camping and she's like the weather's gonna be good and there's gonna be a moon and dad's like all right Kiki fine <laughs> and she flies off and um on her way Kiki discovers uh, she like meets up with another witch in the sky who is pissed at Kiki for like keeping her radio on because she wants to fly in silence it's another young witch whose gift is like divination magic and she could tell like love fortunes um and there's no like sparks or magic she's just flying on another shitty broom to her town and she's a bit of a jerk to Kiki and she goes Kiki what's your talent and Kiki goes I don't know yet I'm gonna find and Kiki discovers her talent is literally being a human Amazon, like an Amazon.com, where she flies into the city and the best use she could find for her skill, which is just flying, is delivering packages place to place. And so the whole plot of the movie, there's no big bad um, witch, there's no antagonist, there's like one inciting event towards the end of the movie when the uh, uh, Zeppelin plane airbag, uh, that airship, what is the word? Dr- dr- oh, dirigible. Dr- Dirigible, yeah. thank you. When the uh, dir- a dirigible uh, gets all fucked up and Kiki, which is a zeppelin, essentially. Yeah, and Kiki has to go uh, rescue our boy Tombo, which we'll talk about later. Come on, Tombo, Tombo, because <laughs> Tombo's the best. But yes. so, um, 
I think slice of life is is interesting here because Kiki's is it's at once like really comforting, but also really confronts some like deep human truths, and it has entirely like internal conflicts, which makes it such a great freaking movie. But kind of I guess want to bounce back and ask y'all, this is the least um, popular or at least accepted way to make media here in America is like a slice of life TV show or slice of life um, movie. I think the closest we get are like traveling food shows are like the only real slice of life thing I could think of. But why don't we have more media like this? Why don't we tell stories like this? Hal, what do you think? Uh, so actually, I this reminds me of a, uh, a comedy special I watched. I think it was Daniel Sloss, who, who is uh, one of my favorite. That's Scottish a comedians. fake name, Daniel Sloss. Nah, look it up. Look it up. It's real. It's real. Uh, and so so he's talking about like, you know, there's a difference when but when I'm performing for like uh, a British audience versus like an American audience, because Americans, we our attention spans are so short. We, you know, you tell a joke and we're like, <laughs> again, <laughs> and then and then that's it. And that's that's how we operate. We do it by like very quick mm-hmm. bursts of attention. That's why this and podcast energy. is so exhausting for me. It's never enough for you people. I can never be enough for you. <laughs> And so like a slice of life really encapsulates everything that Americans don't usually want to watch. It's like we we have a lot of action movies in our society. We have a lot of like sitcoms, which are, you know, like, uh oh, something's going to happen. Punchline. And then moving along. And then another punchline. It's just like like a jab and cross, like over and over and over again with jokes. And that's just kind of how mm-hmm. entertainment works in the U.S., at least I think. Um, and so that's why I think slice of life mediums don't really do so well with American audiences. I think that there's like a cross-cultural thing too now that I'm thinking about Japan because Japan, uh, America is like number one in terms of like completely sick work-life imbalances and like this intense pressure to uh, have this constant work coupled with like no work benefits and to create this culture of like you are what your accomplishments are. But Japan is very much like that as well to the point where I think that in our culture, like to to be seen as like calm and not desiring something like not being desirous of a promotion or a new house or a new car or a new object and a new title is almost seen as perverted. It's almost seen as, as like a perversion to not have this um, consuming desire and drive. And so I think that pieces of media and there are things I guess only in America am I thinking of like animated things like Steven Universe or Adventure Time that are can, can be a bit slice of lifey but even so um, there are all sorts of uh, different dramas especially in Asia that are just kind of like slice of life shows where you know we're, we're going out here gonna hang out on a countryside um, I love watching stuff like that but it just doesn't exist in um the West, and I think that's why Kiki's is so cathartic because it does have drama. It has a lot of mm-hmm. conflict, I'd say, um, but it's human. It's filled with yes, these human no, moments, and, and the pace of it. I think um, when Hal yeah. was speaking about you know our short attention span to just get to the joke or have the reaction and then move on to the next thing. What I appreciated about this film and what stood out to me was its slower realistic pace i think in the beginning it it sets you up for this calming like the moments of silence in the film were stood out to me there were moments where there wasn't Mm. music where there wasn't um background noise and i found those really fascinating because you don't hear that a lot um 
when when a dramatic moment is happening or when a character is realizing something, they have music to like help amp the situation and or make it more clear. Yeah. And music uh, in correlation with visuals is such a powerful like connection. But I really loved like the silence in the forest or like the silence in just walking along the streets like was really that stood out to me. And I wonder if that is a um, a characteristic of anime. I don't know. I'm that's new to me, but I but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a good way to kind of pivot to like Kiki's itself and talking about like what specifically happens in Kiki's like plot wise. So the 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 movie is filled with these these moments of silence. A lot of times you get to see Kiki in her loft just hanging out with her cat. And because it's silent, you get to really enjoy the way that the hair is animated on the cat as it like yeah. stretches and moves out. And uh, uh, to kind of like lay out our main cast here, we have um, Kiki who lands in the city and she meets uh, Osuno, who is referred to on here as pregnant bread mommy. <laughs> um, uh, Kiki just happens to land there. Um, a woman has forgotten her pacifier at uh, the bakery that Osuno owns with her husband. Uh, she and Kiki just like grabs the pacifier is like I'm gonna go uh, deliver this and she goes to like jump off what seems to be like a cliffside area with her broom and Osuno does not exactly get what's going on and so she just sees this girl like yeet (laughs) off the side of the cliff and for a second she's like "Uh, uh," and then you see Kiki coming up and she delivers the pacifier and um, long story short she comes back with a note from the the mom who she delivered it to saying hey I really like your new delivery girl and it kind of gives Osuno this idea of Hey, Kiki, come stay with me and my husband, uh, Fukuo, um, both of whom are, are uh, own the bakery. And so Kiki moves in with them and does some deliveries uh, for Osuno um, of breads and the like, sometimes mans the shop. The kind of deal being, hey, we'll give you a place to live if you can use your talents to uh, provide this nice service for us. But the whole time it's also like there's this kid because he's 13 years old. And so um, the, the whole uh, subtext being let's help this kid out. And if this kid wants to, you know, help out at the shop, that's cool too. But it places a lot of stress on Kiki. Can we kind of like, what's like the main conflicts in this movie? Coming of age, I would say like self-purpose, um, independence, mm-hmm. her relationship with Tombo and being an outcast towards the Who's other. Who's Tombo? Tombo. <laughs> Tombo is the sweetest little like nerdiest guy riding his bike. Uh, cute glasses. Love his getup. Um, and he's just infatuated with Kiki, like, right from the start. Sees her fly um, in town, right, was it? And um, follows her and just wants to know everything about her and is really actually accepting of her. But Kiki kind of um, retreats because he addresses her, uh, was it Miss, Miss Witch? Miss Which Witch. <laughs> isn't very nice. <laughs> But he doesn't. He doesn't do it in a way. He doesn't like make up the same like. Right. Hey, it was very Miss like, Witch. Wow. He's just kind of like, oh, Miss Witch. Right. right. But to I her, it was name. like that's not respectful. Like you don't address someone without knowing their name. And like was she was very like determined that. And she punches him and, in the oh throat. Oh my god, yeah. End movie. And, and there's um, this whole performative aspect of it too because Kiki is kind of like bashfulness with the boy. It just it's, it, it drips of youth because they're right on that boundary between kind of like absolutely. being a teenager and being a kid still. And it absolutely. still seems like kind of like a very childish flirtationship right. that they have. And those insecurities too. So I think her feeling like um, an oddball or an outcast and um, other people's opinions of her, especially her own age, um, that was interesting and and I think you know a conflict for her is along with those insecurities and coming of age is also um 
her image as a female. Like she can't, I think like three or two times she addresses her clothes and how she feels insecure mm, about yeah. just being in the blue dress, um, which she stays in the entire film. That's like her signature look. Because um, the other witches are like all in blue or all in black. And you don't meet a lot of them, but like Kiki's one form of rebellion right. is her big red bow that she yes, has. Yes, yes. And I found that interesting that she addressed that as much as she did. because, But it also makes sense because, I mean, when I was 13, how you represent, how you wore, what you wore and how you um, presented yourself was everything. Image, like, you know, clothing, fashion. It's And, and it's a small detail, but... Along with coming of age, I took notice to that, um, you know, as a female, but I think as any teenager. Which is something I wanted to ask you, Morgan, actually. So so Miyazaki, a lot of his films have like really, really strong female protagonists. Um, a lot of times they're, they're pretty young. Uh, so like Spirited Away, um, you have uh, Princess Mononoke, you have... Uh, Kiki's, which and and each time he depicts this character in a way that's mm-hmm. not sexualized, like at all, which I which I find yes. really really refreshing. And so for so for a man to tell a coming of age story about a young girl or a young woman, I was wondering, you know, was there anything in that film that that you as as a as a female was like I resonate with that or like oh that wasn't exactly mm. I don't really vibe with that. I think when the Kiki starts her League that. of Legends team, it kind of like hits a little too uh, unrealistic. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Kiki gets really into Counter Strike. <laughs> um, man, I think. Well, I know I already addressed like the appearance. That's a huge thing. Um, coming of age for females, and I'll just speak for myself. But to have a male artist speaking and and coming out with a project that is about a young girl coming of age. I read the description of Kiki's delivery service and it said it captures, he wants to capture the intelligence and reliance of a young teenage Mm -hmm. girl. I mean, a 13 year old being on her own, like period, that's like independence and intelligence in itself um, and bravery. And um, so I respect that a male can tell a coming of age story. I don't, that wasn't on my mind when I was watching it, which I think can be a, is a, positive note because I wasn't like, okay, this is clearly from a male's perspective. They don't understand. It was very much just about Kiki and this journey she's going through. In my opinion, it didn't reflect um, gender as much as maybe I would have thought. Yeah. I think that um, Miyazaki's films are kind of, uh, it's standing out to me that like the internet has never been a factor in his films, which is like a huge positive. (laughs) But like, as I'm thinking about the gender relations and Morgan made so many good points there. And I think especially relating to Tombo, like, the fact that Tombo is interested in Kiki and vice versa, but that Tombo isn't interested in her because she has like a dump truck ass and, you know, big, juicy, honking tits. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's because yep. she can fly and because Tombo's really yeah. into aviation. So they share a common yes. interest. And that's, and he sees mm-hmm. like Kiki as this amazing, like everyone else who sees Kiki as a literal like croissant, you know, delivery vehicle. <laughs> like, and she might as well just be a, <laughs> right, a drone. Right. He sees this, like, he really is the only one that like gets the full extent of the magic because he spends his time trying to make like trying to attach propellers to his bicycles <laughs> and shit uh, which yeah. is so cute he just wants to fly and to see yeah. Kiki flying like so I, I, everything about this film is so gorgeous from the art to the the, the dialogue mm-hmm. to just the, the the relationships here and it's amazing um the only there was one really interesting moment like a, a quieter moment um when Kiki like goes out into the uh 
area like outside her house and she sees like Fukuo because Osano's husband Fukuo he doesn't really speak but he is like this fucking mm-hmm. absolute unit this big honking just strong like dude and he's just yeah. sees, uh, she sees him like stretching his like muscles out in like you know like from a night of sleep and she gets really nervous and like closes and slams the door right away and like goes behind it which I thought was oh so cute gosh, and interesting actually Yes, and speaking about that, that is a total teenage girl moment. Like, I, when even delivery men, like, come to my house now, I, like, I don't want to sign the package. Or, like, I don't, you know, like, that weird human Mm -hmm. interaction of just, like, strangers. Or when you're in someone's house and you're unfamiliar and, like, someone else is up and it's only you two and you'd rather just really not have that awkward conversation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was totally, I totally related to that of just wanting to hide instead of like just talking to someone I didn't know who was older and just that shyness. Um, it really is just her being shy and I can totally relate to that. So absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. Hal, any wayward observations about this movie, the conflict standout moments? I need to hear from you, baby. You know, there's something about Miyazaki films that I've seen that I've seen over and over again in every single one. And it always gets me. Um, it is the way that he animates emotion mm-hmm. on a person without really changing their face much. So like there's one moment in which Kiki's standing on the sidewalk and this police officer was like, hey, you can't do that. You almost caused an accident. And she's just and when he says something, her hair goes out mm, like a cat's. Yeah. In like this, this expression of alarm. And that is something that you see in all of Miyazaki's films. It is like these characters having these extreme internal reactions that manifest themselves in this beautiful animation, um, like in her hair or 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 like. It's just it's just so well done, and it's so unique. I feel to his films, um, that and the way that they animate the landscapes. So, in a lot of like Shonen and Senin are, are like really really guilty of this. I feel, and that is like and so to explain to Morgan what world. that means, Shonen and Senin, like Shonen is like anime right. and manga made for like little shithead boys, and then and Senin okay. is like slightly like older me. shithead young man. <laughs> Like a, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Like, like every every bad stereotype that you can think of within anime, a lot of times, like shonen and senin have those involved because they're they're aimed towards a very specific audience, mm-hmm. being horny young boys, and, yep. and so right. like. Whereas, like in the Miyazaki films, the world is painted around the character, and it is so much larger than that one protagonist. You get the feeling like there is an entire planet around this character. Um, and I got that as soon as she flew down into town and there was so much detail in the, yeah. in the city. And I was like looking at each building being like, Oh, like there's a word there. I want to read that real quick. Oh, that's in a language I don't know. And then, and then boom, <laughs> scenes mm-hmm. over. Um, and you kind of get that feeling that this character is in an entire world of their own and it's not about them mm. and that's something that i really appreciate yeah that's just my little okay take. absolutely I so i would that. like to take y'all on uh, a a straight one-way flight to hot take city will you all accompany me sure yeah, okay great in. so we'll get the straps <laughs> we'll get the straps we'll get the heaters <laughs> um Kiki's delivery service it has become so clear to me uh over the years because i've seen this movie like seven gajillion times <laughs> and in my view, <laughs> Kiki's delivery service is a direct allegory for the artist's experience. 
like the experience of trying to make your life as a creative person. And kind of the, the structure of that argument goes, the story of Kiki's Delivery Service is about a young artist with this fantastic, like, magical trait, being in this case flight, magic, who uh, decides to leave home and finally go to the big city to see if she can make it on her own um, and, and get her training up, become her truest self, which is so familiar for people who, like, work in theater like us, where it's like, okay, well, time to go to the city, uh, make or break it. She even has this line at the beginning that struck me so different watching it now, where um, Gigi, her cat, is like, I mean, can we, like, wait till next? month and she goes well what if i meet like a boy that i start liking and it ruins everything which is so on the nose of like okay well i gotta leave now before i have a relationship that keeps me in this you know ass backwards place i come from and she flies all the way out (laughs) there and immediately she comes with this you know fantastic magical um power that everybody else is like oh that's cool but it's a novelty it's not something you could make your life in and so she needs to find a way to make her own creative expression and energy um, into something marketable, something that she can make a business out of. And in doing so, the more and more she makes a business out of it, the more and more it kind of taps her soul and she becomes literally able to like be creative less, to fly less to the point where she can't even have the childlike imagination to hear her cat talk anymore because her soul is getting drained from finding what used to be this pure expression of like childlike joy and creativity and imagination, then becoming this heavily commoditized thing that she needs to like accept coins for so she could deliver loaves of bread with her ability. And the character that we haven't talked about yet is Ursula. Ursula is like the other big character in the movie, the um, the uh, painter. She meets a painter who kind of lives on, I think, the city outskirts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she is the person who kind of leads Kiki through her journey because Ursula is just this really cool, solitary, like painterly woman who has it all together. Ursula is goals. I have a crush on Ursula. I love mommy Ursula. Um, But literally um, as time goes on and Kiki has more and more of these like not even just negative interactions, but just this this draining like, oh, gosh, maybe I'm not really worth it. You know, I came to the city to learn magic and now I'm just delivering bread all day. Her magic starts to drain. And at some point, Ursula literally confronts her and says, because you see um, the, the big kind of dramatic crux of the movie is Kiki starts like withering away. She's like becomes a, a homebody. She can't hear her cat anymore. Her cat almost starts returning to nature, talking with a neighborhood cat because Kiki can't hear Gigi anymore. Um, and she becomes less and less able to do her stuff. And Ursula eventually confronts her being like, Kiki, you're burnt out. You literally need to you know hit the pause button, reset find a way to enjoy what you're doing right now because you have you have torched your relationship with your magic and you need to find a way to get that back. And so I guess I want to say, does this harebrained scheme like ring true to y'all? Do you think I'm onto something here about this? Because it, it, rewatching it, it feels so deliberate to me. Yeah, I mean, they it, like you said, that conversation between Ursula and Kiki, that that's verbatim what like conversation that I've had. We've with somebody had that conversation. About, you and me have had that, Al. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yes, we have had that conversation, and it and it it's so funny to see them talking to this thirteen year old girl, being like, "Hey, you, you, thirteen years old of li- like thirteen years of life, you are yeah. burnt out." And, and yeah, that that very much rings true to me, especially like I just turned twenty three, and I get this this feeling sometimes i'm like oh god i'm old but i'm not old i'm just tired <laughs> yeah yes, uh, yes that's what it is yes. 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 i'm not yeah but and that's the thing i think i've i've felt 
like when you said burnt out, I was like, yeah, I've experienced that. But like, yeah. have I? Like, yes, I think I have been burnt out many times. Yeah, there's this weird idea that being young means that you cannot run out of energy. Yes, which is just not true. Um, and especially for 13 years old, when everything in the world seems so ginormous and and you know it's your you and your little bubble and that's it frankly and everything around you is pertains to you and that kind of mentality and so I think for Kiki to kind of meet um maybe this role model for her in a way or another female Mm -hmm. an older female that she can look up to and have a discussion with um is super valuable um, and that brings me along the other point of all the other relationships she encountered when you really get a glance at who Kiki is, is this humble, sweet girl, especially when she goes to that girl's birthday party with um, her grandmother's pie. And the um, girl is so like, Ugh, I don't want this pie. And so like disrespectful. And Kiki just, sta- you know, stands there and stares and has this moment of like, huh, I've never like encountered that before. But that's not that's not I wouldn't do that. Or, oh, like her grandmother's son. And just kind of like that relationship that she made with that woman helping her out yeah. too. And so I think um, and it, oh, female connection it's, and like it's coming so, of age. It's so directly that. related to like our experience, like working too, where it's like one out of every customer interactions are the thing that get you through the other nine out of 10, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Where you, you yeah. have those mm-hmm. things that you're holding on to. And I think that there's like you mentioning um, the, the work uh, aspect with the, the delivery in that party. I think that there's like a, the, the Marxist critique here. Like if, if I were to be like Slavoj Zizek, the, you know, current like hottest Marxist philosopher. And I were to share that the uh, true essence of Kiki's delivery service is that Kiki is the only young girl who has to work in her city. The other children do not have to work and are not defined by their labor. And so as she meets her fellow working class Tombo, who also has to work, they know the value of labor and can find solidarity between each other throughout that experience. Whereas all these other shithead kids are just like, oh my God, like <laughs> Kiki, this wasn't what the fuck I wanted. I wish Grandma got me something else. Yeah. Well, the other kids are a bunch of fucking whack ass Dudleys in this shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And like, you know, spoiled or just, and, and that was really like, oh, it just made me love yeah. her more. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Like, as a little, as a like little bitch who started working at 14 myself, I, like, I think that Kiki just, it, it hits like extra hard for me there. Um, I think that there's also just something about when you use what makes you special to to work like I in a way like I I've been a part of jobs that required me to go to different states and do different like consulting contracts on writing and work on different projects and have had a lot of experiences but those negative experiences haven't just made my body tired they've made my soul tired it's like it is draining like the essence of what's special about you Whereas like when I worked at McDonald's for a few years in high school, I could do that shit all day, every day because it wasn't an indictment on who I am as a person because Kiki doesn't just face the threat of, oh, well, the failure of her, um, you know, magic going away is a failure of her like as a laborer. It's also a failure of who she is as a person. And I know that when I've been in creative capacities, that's what it's felt like. Like when I felt burnout, it's like this isn't just a failure on like my ability to work and make money. It's a failure on what I think is special about me as a person because giving my specialness away to this cause that it doesn't value me or that I, I don't believe in or doesn't value and nurture me 
it, it, it means that not only am I a failure at working right now and I need to take a break, but I'm a fucking failure as a human being because even the little like special spark in me couldn't withstand the onslaught of bullshit from this. I'm cursing a lot mm. for a kid's movie review, but I don't care. <laughs> hey, it's yeah, real. It's real in the streets. And all, all, it yeah, gets real. And all the little 12-year-old freaks who are going to find this podcast and who are on TikTok all day, they'll be like, this is pretty mild-mannered. Like, you know, we have not... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, what's our next topic here? <laughs> so, we're talking about uh, Kiki's place in the broader Ghibli canon. Yo, are we already here? Goddamn. Goddamn. So... Yeah, um, Kiki's is, I, I think, very uh, unique in the, in the broader canon. So, Hal, how many of the Ghibli movies have you seen? So, I've seen Spirit of the Way, Princess Mononoke, Castle in the Sky, mm. Kiki's Now, and um, gosh, I, I think that might okay, be it. Okay, gotcha. Right so, now. I guess just to t- touch on this then. Um, the Ghibli movies that most people are familiar with are Spirited Away. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service and probably Ponyo, like are the the like really familiar names. Yeah, and I think that Kiki's uh, fits into the the slice of Ghibli movies that are targeted particularly uh, for children, although like so valuable for anybody else. Um, this is not like a this is not like Boss Baby where you're gonna have to kind of like cringe through it while your kid uh, enjoys it. This is a for real like dope artistic experience. Um, Kiki's, uh, but. I think Kiki's is the the best at the slice it occupies in the giggly, the giggly, the giggity, in the giggity <laughs> filmography. Um, my God, you know I edit this and I'm still not editing this out. Just fuck me. Okay, in the broader Ghibli filmography, um, at films targeted for children with these wholesome messages, I think it's probably the best at what it does. I think it's uh, better than Ponyo. I think it's better than a lot of the stuff we see out here in the West. Um, it's just really calm and considered and. I think really hard to get a bad message out of the film, but maybe you all have like different opinions on like, I guess the question I'll throw back, you know, being less familiar with like the Ghibli canon, like how about just the like children's animation canon, like things that you grew up with, where does this fit in into, you know, that picture? Mm. You go ahead, Morgan. <laughs> you both are thinking it, Hal. Sure, Throw you under the bus, yeah, Hal. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, oh, oh, no, 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 please, you first. Let you know. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Hal. Um, yeah. Uh, right off the bat, fantasy is like the huge factor for me when I think of my interests in animation when I was younger. Um, I mean, I loved that. I mean, I know it's, it's not animation. It's kind of an American, you know, there's this been debate about whether the animated show totally spies was <laughs> anime yes oh and your God, girl it's, it's, used it's to totally. watch that and it's not oh, um, i love totally spies i loved that show. <laughs> i actually like this quarantine has been making me i feel like um go back into my childhood and i've been watching it guys like i loved that show and so fantasy female superheroes like agents like that kind of and i and i'm i love action so like anything Mm -hmm. that had to do with uh adventure um whether that was within fantasy or you know um superheroes yeah there were some witch shows back then danny phantom Phantom. total drama island yes i love danny phantom (laughs) fairly odd parents like yes that fairly odd parents is my favorite anime (laughs) (laughs) anybody out there who wants to complain about this is an anime that is an anime you're correct and just be in your fucking house with the knowledge of how correct you are and how just how you're right about everything meanwhile we can compare it to stuff you know 
And, yeah. and you know, the last airbender powers like yeah. that kind of thing. That's what I I love. Just like imagination. And I think animation, imagination really kind of for me, like comes together. Um, and that's where I love it, where it's and as a kid, like what I loved about animation was that it, these shows really serve as an escape, but also for me, ways I could take into my own playtime, like when I was younger. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. a spy. I'm a totally spy. Like that, that kind of mentality. I about imagine it. being a totally spy. I was in the woods, like with yes. a little like Nerf gun, being like, "Oh God!" And Kim Possible too was another thing where I was like Loved down it. on the spy game. Yep. So I mean that. I, I, yeah, I just love animation. And now, like having this discussion has really brought me back into like why I loved it. Oh, yeah. And something else that I really think is important is that like um, uh, animation gives you like permission to explore these fantastic realms where like live action is always difficult. And I remember like old Disney Channel, like live action movies were always like they always I mean, there were a lot of cool ones like Halloween Town. I would die <laughs> yeah. for that franchise. So good. But like um, then there was like Luck of the Irish where it's like I can't believe that they just made like completely racist films like that. <laughs> just like, all right, everybody, it's time to turn into a leprechaun. <laughs> Like it's so wild. <laughs> um, but there's just something about animation that um, robs any of kind of like that, I guess like that adulty urge to like criticize and be like, oh, the special effects here are like rather mundane. Like, because in animation, it just, it lets you flower and be free. And like the way you express yourself in those fantastic forms. I mean, I know some kids now can do just like CG on their like computers or through TikTok, but like just drawing. I remember like drawing like characters I'd make up in my own head. And I think that there's just something so almost primal and fundamental about like the a, a child's relationship to stories and pictures and oh, imagination. absolutely. And you pulled like, inspiration from, yeah. you know, for example, going back to Totally Spies, but it's relevant. So <laughs> it is, it so is hyper relevant. Um, taking the image of what a spy could be or a female spy for me, and then you take that and you roll with it, you know, you draw it or mm-hmm. you act it like, you know, us all being actors. I think that it goes along with what the imagination of characters and, and what we play. And I think like animation is a huge factor in that. See, for me, uh, when I see films like Kiki's and, and, you know, how it nurtured my imagination and the things that I was into as a kid. So like, I really enjoyed, uh, I loved Pokemon as a kid. I loved, uh, the games. Um, and I, I loved, so like I, I would play all the games and I would love like just traveling to all these little different places, like going to Ballgrass being like, look at these cute little animals that I want to just like catch and look at. I didn't want to like fight that much. I was just kind of like, I just want to look at them because they're cool. And then like I would watch the show where they would be like, sure. Yeah. My Machamp can like punch a mountain into the stratosphere and, you know, curl 2000 pounds in each arm. But he also helps me bench when I'm at the gym, which is really, really nice and conservative. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, like, oh, my God, you know, you're looking at these these three dimensional these characters that like, even though you may not get like this really, really in-depth look at them, you understand that they have a different purpose besides like two dimensional, like fighting and, and yeah. just constant conflict. Like that's not life. You know, life isn't just about conflict. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Ghibli really does like ascend and elevate to make yeah. to, to give you that three dimensional portrait. And like you talking about the um, like Machamp and uh, kind of getting a peek into this world. I think that um, giving like peeling back a layer into like the secret world of possibilities and like um, I idyllic, like sublime representation of just what the world could be. 
I don't think necessarily about like the the flying portions of Kiki's, though those are really fun. I think about like how bread looks in Kiki's delivery service. The, the cakes better than any cake I've seen in real life. You know, like the 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 kind of dreamlike versions of of what life could be. I think is like what this Ghibli movie does so sublimely. It's like amazing. Mm, I love that. So. So that being said, with with all of Kiki's having been watched, with the adventures of Tombo and Ursula and Kiki um, having been thoroughly digested, uh, one quick, I guess, question before we get into our favorite, least favorite things. At the end of the movie, Kiki still can't hear Gigi speak, her cat Gigi speak. Why do we think that that is? I actually read something about that, um, oh, and it okay. was like it was a theory that someone had about it because because I was curious and. Someone said, like, you know, Gigi acts as uh, Kiki's sort of older voice, her conscience, yes. uh, like the thing, the, her, mm. her older mm-hmm. thought processes. So, like, whenever he would say the things that she wouldn't. So when, like, she went up to this girl's house and gave her the pie and the girl was like, I hate this pie. I hate grandma. And then slams the door in her face. <laughs> the, uh, K- Kiki just kind of, like, looks at the door and is a little dumbfounded. But but Gigi goes like, oh, wow, you can't believe they're even yes, related. Yes, that was what it was. Right. Mm, and, and so, yeah. like, there are Stops lots Kiki of Kiki from avocadavering them. Right. <laughs> so you have all these moments of, of Gigi, or, like, when Kiki was sick in bed after mm-hmm. flying through the rain. Um, and she was feeling depressed. Like, one of the last few things that Gigi said to her was, like, hey, are you not feeling well? Maybe we should eat something. Maybe we should get up and, and clean ourselves off, dry off. And he is her caretaker. And I think that by the end of the film, when she is able to sort of get past her self-doubt and and she comes to maturity, um, the reason that she cannot hear him is because she does not necessarily need to hear him. Yes, I agree. I agree. Mm. I think, yeah, I think she, maybe it's self-growth. Like, she's growing up, kind of, and that she doesn't need Gigi to be her conscience. To be <laughs> Yeah, to be Right, Right, because no one else can talk to Gigi. It's not like yeah. Scooby-Doo where, you know, like the rest of the gang is like, hey, Shaggy, can you keep your Great Dane <laughs> under control and maybe teach him how to speak English properly? Um, yeah. Gigi's just like, what the fuck do that supposed to mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it could be on another note, too. That's kind of like sad, but, you know, imagination goes as as you get older and i think maybe when she made that breakthrough of deciding something for herself that that maybe her imagination of Gigi being able to speak also kind of went with her growing up which isn't you know it can be sad but i also think it's slice of life part of life you know so yeah that is that's a much better theory Yeah, and that is a much better theory than mine uh, that Kiki could only speak to Gigi because of a tumor pressing up against her brain and she died right after the end credits. So (laughs) I think that that's yours is my headcanon now. (laughs) I love your theory. (laughs) So um, that said, uh, Kiki is still alive. She grew up to become um, 
uh, McGonagall, J.K. Rowling just tweeted bitch. about it, so it's canon. Now. <laughs> Imagine just picking out different characters, being like, "Yeah, yeah, uh, Frodo actually grew up to be Dumbledore. He got stilts, and that's why he's actually two Frodos. He cloned himself." Like, oh, oh god, I hope she goes full mask off and does the crazy stuff. But anyway, let's give our favorite, least favorite things about Kiki's before we wrap up today. Because for me, my favorite is uh, Kiki when she and Tombo uh, finally fly together on his bike mm-hmm. with the propeller, and they're speeding down like the. the the curving slopes of the uh, like streets by the seaside. That is just so gorgeous to me. And uh, so filled with love. God, when will my Tombow oh. come? <laughs> but um, my least favorite is nothing for me. I'm so sorry. I don't have yeah. a least favorite right now. Um, it's just this movie is really, it's really, uh, really dope to me. Yeah. Hal, what's your favorite and least favorite part? So. My favorite part has got to be when she is, I think, just the beginning. There's this moment where she takes off, right? And she actually hits this tree, and you're like, ooh! But then you hear bells ringing in the tree. And then she hits another tree, and then more bells go off. And then they sit and they wait, and they listen for the third one. And then it doesn't happen, so they're like, oh, she's good. Which, Mm. to me, tells me that, like, oh, she trains here. Mm. Those are, like... Those are like her safety nets. She hits those trees and the bells go off. And that's how you know that she hit the tree. Mm. And, and it, ah. to me, it really encapsulated like, wow, these parents raised this child, this, this sweet 13 year old girl to be, you know, this unassuming witch. But like, like they've prepared her for this journey. And and it really has this exciting promise as it goes forward to know that she has a past that she's going to use to propel herself into the future other than like like when Ash is like alright Pikachu let's go on an adventure I'm 11 years old and I'm gonna go fight a terrorist organization like, like <laughs> and so to me that that made it so much more real that they're like yeah we're, we're ready for her to mess up mm. she's gonna mm-hmm. and she just mm. did mm. um and and then it goes into this beautiful thing with her flying across the sky on the perfect night, even though she didn't go on her father's camping trip. Um, but I think my least favorite part. Oh, my God. He has one. You know, <sighs> there's only okay. one part that I don't like. Spit your venom, Judas. It's those. <laughs> <laughs> it's those asshole birds. Uh... Oh, those birds suck. Those birds straight up suck. What sucks about them? So, so Kiki, like, she's flying along. She's delivering this present, and uh, she comes along this flock of geese, which I hate geese. <laughs> Sidebar, hate geese. And so, like, I'm expecting these geese to be just total dicks to her. And they don't. They're just like, oh, wind is coming. And then the wind comes, knocks <laughs> the her off her broom. wind takes them. Right, just, like, <laughs> yeets her off her yeah. broom. She lands in a tree, and these this flock of birds like the baboons in Tarzan just attack her um, because they think that she is trying to like destroy their nests um, and then she like flies out and you're like oh god they'll leave her alone and then they come up out of the forest and mass and just assault her it so was stressful that's my least favorite part that's fair that's fair. Fuck the birds. Fuck the birds. Well, one of my favorite parts, there's so many like little moments that I loved. I love when she danced with her father in her room before um, she left, like he lifted her up and that was just super cute. It um, was. That is such a good yeah, moment. Yeah, it was really charming because it, 
it showed like her parent relationship with both of them and how they're both very present and very supportive and lovable and i just loved that yeah and um, she goes like daddy lift me up again like when i was little and you could see yes. he struggles just like a slight bit because she's like old now or yes. older now but like he still brings her up and that's so sweet right it was so so cute um along with hal's favorite part was her first takeoff when she um flew on her broom slammed into a couple trees but then her mom kind of says okay just hold your broom steady or something Mm. along those lines and then it just naturally happened and like that image of her flying through night sky um i mean people always ask me if i had a superpower would you want to fly or and flying is always like one of my answers so i just feel like i have a connection to the whole flying Mm -hmm. thing um but as far as my least favorite part it's uh, it's so similar to hal's um when they specifically were like eating her broom that she her mother's broom that made Mm. me like just stressed um so yes my least favorite part but i mean conflict you have to have it so absolutely absolutely all right so here protakus we are all agreeing that we're a part of the fuck the birds squad uh (laughs) not literally just figuratively till they die (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a good note to leave off on um morgan thank you so much for joining us today it was so amazing to have you on the podcast it's so amazing to be a part of it yeah, absolutely. So um, once again, you can find Morgan at Morgan Malone. That's Morgan, M-I-L-O-N-E, MorganMalone.com, and at Morgan Malone on both Instagram and Twitter. Check out that fire content. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and review us on your favorite podcasting app. It really does make a difference, and every review counts. We'll make sure to give you a shout-out on the air to show our appreciation. Next week... We are doing the highly anticipated roast of what, Hal? <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution. Real quick, and uh, Hal, what, what is Dragon Ball Evolution? Uh, a travesty. It is an aberration, <laughs> an abomination. Uh, it is a live-action movie that is supposed to be like the retelling of season one of Dragon Ball Z. But instead... It's a tr- yeah. Oh my god. Ah, okay, well you're gonna have to find out what it is instead, because <laughs> next week we're gonna be talking about it. And we're gonna have a very, very special guest, and it's gonna be amazing. So, signing off. All right, I'm Pax. I'm Hal. And, and we're, we're the, the Brotakus. Boom. See you next week, guys. <laughs> 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 <laughs>